Mindfulness Mode 101. Mindfulness is is my diet and, and things I could control. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us. As appreciation for listening, I have a meditation infographic for you called Calm Your Busy Mind. This download focuses on breathing, exercise, and mantras. Get your copy at mindfulnessmode.com slash calm, C-A-L-M. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Daniel Hayes on the line today. Hey, Daniel, are you in mindfulness mode? (laughs) Yes, sir, I am. (laughs) Good. Daniel Hayes is on a unique and interesting journey. He's pursuing a gold medal in the 2016 Olympics as a boxer representing Trinidad and Tobago. Based on Based in California, he's an authority on fitness, nutrition, and boxing, as well as the athletic mindset, perseverance, and how that applies to life. Daniel is also an actor. After one semester in college as a kinesiology major, he switched to theater. Daniel currently trains at the world-famous Wild Card Boxing Club and aspires to motivate and inspire others. Daniel practices mindfulness every single day. So... Daniel, tell us about mindfulness in your life. What does it mean to you? I'd say the meaning of mindfulness to me is uh, is not only being aware of one's mental state, but also knowing one's strengths and weaknesses and how they can be utilized when one is in the moment. Well, definitely living in the moment is part of what it means to me too so I really agree with you on that one so you're a boxer and I'm very interested in boxing and how you got into this sport tell us about that um wow this goes back uh, years and years and years so if we were to hit the rewind button and that goes all the way back into high school where I was a bit of a a recluse when it came to lunch breaks or spare periods where I would uh, lock myself pretty much in the gym or weight room Mm -hmm. and be training. And there was a weightlifter at the time who, funny enough, was a a bit of the high school bully. And we've had somewhat of a connection because I guess he would always see me in the gym and we'd always see each other on the lunch hour in the weight room. And he asked me if I had ever boxed before because he just, you know, he would always come to the games and everything. And he's like, have you ever tried it? You know, you're quick. You have good reflexes. Uh, You know, maybe it'd be a good thing for you to try. So he convinced me to go to the gym one Saturday. And uh, from there, pretty much the rest is history. I I went in there. I, I must admit, I was not at all a fan at first, where you go in there, it's sweaty, it's grungy. And, you know, when you're used to um, different sort of sports, like with basketball or whatever, it's a little bit of a different sort of atmosphere or even on a soccer field or whatnot. So I would say at first I, I wasn't a fan, but once I became fully immersed in the sport, I definitely am where I am today. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, I'm sure there must be quite an element of mindfulness that you have to apply to this as you're you're boxing or getting ready for a match. Tell us what goes through your mind, say, 30 minutes before a match. 
That's a great question. And I think in all the sports that I've played at a high level, and there have been a few, that fighting, either mixed martial arts or boxing, for sure requires the utmost elite level of mindfulness. Just because if you're not present in that moment, if your mind is not there in that moment, you're either going to get knocked out of that moment or you're going to get knocked into the moment. So um, to, to answer your question with the 30 minutes before, what I do is I definitely focus on nothing but positive thoughts. I just block every single thing out. I don't think of the crowd. I don't think of my opponent. I visualize what I've practiced. I visualize what I've been breathing, my breathing patterns. I visualize my combination. I visualize everything. So really it's almost um, a robotic essence of me stepping into the ring until I have to go right into that moment. So that's how you block everything else out is simply by visualizing. Is that right? Yes, 100%. Um, there's so many things. Any fighter would be lying or just any any high-level athlete would be lying if they said their thoughts isn't their biggest enemy before any big sporting event just because so many just negative thoughts, doubts, whatever can creep in. And it's amazing how those things can – grow in your head when you're in that pressure when you're in that heat of the moment and how those thoughts can creep to the surface so what i try to do is i definitely make a very proactive effort to block all that out so none of that manifestation takes place when when i'm competing so tell me this if you're in a match and things start going bad and you feel like geez, this isn't going well, this is not good. How do you keep your mind from from taking you elsewhere? How do you still maintain that focus even though it doesn't feel like things are, are going the way you want? Well, it depends for me on what sport I'm competing in. So for me, when I was playing basketball back in college, uh, and you're at the free throw line. So for those of you that's not familiar with it, when you're at the free throw line, pretty much all the attention's on you, especially if it's a tie game and it's late in the fourth quarter. Those are extremely pressure moments. And for me, what would go through my head at times would be if I miss this, then I'm going to have to try to run to get the rebound. If I miss this, then we're going to be down. Or if I miss this, and I'm thinking of all the negative consequences that can happen. So what I would do to remedy that is I would literally just focus on my breathing patterns. I would take a – so this is my mantra. I inhale confidence or I breathe in confidence and I exhale negativity. So I would take a deep breath. I would close my eyes two or three deep breaths, and I would think nothing but positive thoughts. I am going to make this. I would give myself a positive affirmation saying I'm going to make this. I would visualize the ball going through the net, and I would take it from there. And if it didn't happen, it didn't happen. But I know I was in that moment. With boxing, you definitely don't have that sort of time unless it's between rounds. And um, I've never had to struggle with that in boxing just because – a lot of times you don't ha- you have to be so in the moment you don't have time to think 5 seconds ahead <laughs> or 5 seconds down the road you know what i mean yes. it's such a reactive sport so um luckily i've been blessed where there's only been one time 
where I've come into the corner and I actually had a mild uh, panic attack or anxiety attack. And it wasn't, it was really more of a psychological thing for me. It had absolutely nothing to do with the opponent I was against or anything. It was some stuff I was dealing with in my life. And that was really just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I believe that's the term. Um, Where it was just, you know, um, an accumulation of different things. And it just so happened I was in a boxing match and just the stress was too much. So I had a mild panic attack for maybe 20 seconds. Now, nobody knew this was happening, and I've never even gone on record saying that this had happened. But what I did is I self-soothed myself at that just because I didn't know what was exactly going on. But I said, hey, so to myself, I was like, hey, listen, you don't have time for this. You need to suck it up and get through it. (laughs) And that's exactly what I did. And luckily that that fight turned out very well for me. But that was the first ever time I've experienced that in boxing. Oh, is it? Daniel, how do you keep your body in such optimal shape? I was looking at you on some images and Google and man, it's amazing. Now, of course, we have challenges with food. We have challenges with exercise, but maybe you don't. Tell us how you do this. And if you're using mindfulness to kind of keep your body in the shape you're in. Well, I would say I... Definitely there's a few things on on why that's even possible. And first of all, thank you so much for the kind compliment. Um, One would be is a a product of your environment. So I try to surround myself with athletic-minded people, whether it be personal trainers or bodybuilders or whatnot. That also helps influence, you know, just even your thought process when it comes to food selection, right? Right. Uh, Another thing would be back to the whole thing with mindfulness. And when you're in that moment, especially in a very pressured moment, you want to go into that moment knowing, listen, I've done the absolute best I've done. Like I've, I haven't left any stone unturned. So what I mean by that is with diet. So if I know I'm preparing for something big, uh, athletically, I want to make sure, let's say it was three months prior that I've eaten clean for three months that I did not cheat myself. Right. So I've been in cases where I've gone into that moment and luckily I was able to get through it, but I know those thoughts did manifest like, oh shoot, you know what? I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that because those thoughts will start to bubble up when you're in a high pressure situation. So one thing that is a constant motivation for me is, and and mindfulness is, is my diet and, and things I could control outside of the actual moment. So when I do go in the moment, I know that I've done all the work I can do and it's now up to me to just perform and do what I've practiced. Right. So what's the toughest thing about your diet? And tell us what your diet is like specifically. Um, Well, lately it's been definitely not 100% vegan, but more vegan based. Mm -hmm. Um, So, or vegetarian, I do, or prescatarian. Um, So, I would say I base it primarily around that because for me through trial and error, I noticed for me, especially when you're training two or three times a day, you don't – with meat, it's especially beef and red meat. It stays very – it's very heavy on your stomach. So with beef, for example, it takes about – or a steak more specifically, it takes about three days for that – your stomach to digest that, right? Really? So it stays on your body for quite some time and especially if you're in a weight cut – 
that's definitely not something that you want. So for me, it's been day-to-day choices as far as uh, what is my body going to digest quickly? So is, is this going to be a vegan meal because I have to train in an hour or two hours? And again, back to that whole thing, when you're in a training session, especially sparring, you're, you do not want that feeling of, oh man, I knew I shouldn't have done this. Because for me, I'm, I'm fiercely competitive and I'm extremely hard on myself as well too. So I'm meticulous when it comes to anything I can avoid that will hinder my performance, right? So do you, um, do you find that if you eat something like that, it changes the way you think as well? Does it change uh, your, your brain's processing ability? And, you know, it's going to sound so weird to somebody that's just not in it. But when, you, when you're totally immersed in it and, and it's broken down to every single element, you would be surprised on, on how better you feel when you know you followed your diet as opposed to you cheated on it. Or just take example to even make it more relatable. How do people feel normally when you eat, let's say, McDonald's? Like maybe – for the first hour, you feel, oh, I feel full. I feel great. That tasted so good. But after a while, I don't know, you know, some people will say, yeah, they felt great. But others would be like, oh, they just don't feel good. They feel lethargic. Um, they feel dehydrated, bloated. There, there's so many different things, right? Yeah, there really are for sure. I know how I feel when I eat something like that and it's not good, but uh, you know, everybody's different. That's for sure. So you are also an actor and I imagine you have to apply some of the same principles. What's it like when you get up on stage and you're looking out there at the audience and you've got a whole role ahead of you? What's that like? Again, another pressure moment. And that is 100% just living in the moment. Because if you're not in that moment, number one, uh, on theater, you have a little bit more of leeway just because there's not like there's a camera zoomed in on you where they're going to be seeing your eyes at a very close up view, right? So you could kind of get away with a little bit of things, but you can't make mistakes when you're doing theater just because it's a live performance. You can't say, uh, sorry, can we do another take? (laughs) No. So you definitely feel more pressure. And again, back to what I was saying, that's why I'm a huge advocate of work ethic and putting in that work. So when you get up there and you're in that pressure moment, it's really just going through the motions at that point where you've, you've rehearsed it with your, with your castmates or whatnot. And the crowd isn't even there. You, you just totally zone them out. So you're totally in that moment and you're not even acting. You're just reacting to what that what your your castmate is giving you or what the other actor or actress in that scene is giving you. Well, I'm so fascinated. You were studying kinesiology and then you must have had an experience because you switched to theater just like that going into second semester. Tell us about that experience you had. Uh, well, that for me was a bit of a self-discovery where um, what had happened was I... <laughs> I was uh, supposed to select my courses ahead of time. And in order to be eligible athletically, you had to have a certain amount of courses that you were taking. And this would uh, affect your scholarship, your eligibility athletically, and and everything. So how it boiled down was I only had a couple courses that were available because everything else was full. So I kind of owe this a bit to procrastination. 
But <laughs> I definitely don't recommend that for anybody listening. <laughs> so what had happened is I went in and I saw the academic advisor and they were like, listen, you need to pick out three or four of these courses and otherwise you're not going to be eligible. So I went to my athletic director. He recommended which teachers he knew, which schedules work well and whatnot. And it just so happened it was a theater 101 course. And when I started taking theater, initially I was, you know, it was just that weird vibe where everybody's like, look at this jock. What the heck is he doing in here? And I'm like, look at these friggin' theater nerds and, you know, <laughs> yeah. that thing, right? Yeah. But I really fell in love with performing when it was uh, at the end of the semester and we had to have a show. We had a, we had a show and that's how we were getting graded on it. And I remember the lights were so bright and you're backstage. And I remember some of my castmates slash classmates were backstage and they they were so nervous. They were terrified. And for me, I was feeling that same adrenaline rush and that same, um, presence of being in the moment that that same mindset where it it was like replicating the tip off in basketball or the kickoff in football or just anything and I love that feeling and so I love being able to perform under that sort of circumstance so for me that was what drew me into into theater or more so into acting where I just love that feeling and I said this is something that I can do for the rest of my life, or this is something that I would strive to do for the rest of my life that where I feel most alive. Yes, absolutely. And so how much acting can you do as you're preparing for the Summer Olympics? Well, the thing is, luckily with acting right now, you kind of have uh, your ups and downs. So you could kind of be a little more selective on what projects you take on and what you don't take on. Sure. So right now, everything is more geared towards um, my training and and just bettering myself as an athlete. Of course, if a great opportunity comes up, I'm not going to pass it up. I also don't like to pass up good experience opportunities, meaning if I know that's a high pressure situation, I would like to just experience that so I can get that under my belt so I know I'll be better for that going forward. Right. Yes. Well, you've certainly done a lot of different things, and it sounds like you're incredibly busy. How do you keep your day-to-day life sort of under control so you're not feeling a little overwhelmed with everything? Uh, The overwhelming thing, I don't know if there's any remedy for that just with anybody. (laughs) But um, for sure, without structure and scheduling, none of that would be possible. So for me, for example, when I wake up in the morning, And my mother taught me this from a very young age. Um, You have your list of things you have to do. So when I was a kid, it was my list of chores that I had to do, right? Mm -hmm. So luckily now I don't have to do that anymore um, other than when I'm at home. But (laughs) she doesn't make me do the list anymore. But, um, you know, so I have my list of things I have to do. I obviously have a calendar where I know from this time to this time, this is what I got to do. From this time to this time, this is what I got to do. So it's really um, just a lot of structure and scheduling, to be honest with you, and, and being meticulously organized. So tell us about your meditation. What form does meditation take for you, Daniel? 
for me, this is going to probably be, I, I'll be interested to hear your take on this one. Where I do my best meditation is in the dry sauna. And the reason for that being is uh, I like the stress that that puts on your body, even though it relaxes it. But, you know, with the heat and you're sweating and I'll go in the dry sauna and I'll, if it's, if it's something I'm doing the next day, I'll visualize it. I'll, I'll think about it. If it's something that I just encountered, I'll go in there, I'll sit there. I'll look at the wall and close my eyes and I'll just go through the motions in my head. I'll, I'll try to replicate that experience through my head. I'll, I'll try to emulate those emotions that I was going through and just try to relive that experience. Uh, so a lot of times it, it's just me and the me and the dry sauna meditating. Uh, I don't really – I know some people have their preference of, of music when they meditate uh, or or not. And for me, it's definitely, I, I like to do it in, in the quietness of the moment. Well, I like that. I haven't talked to anybody who meditated in a sauna before. So this is great to know. It sounds like a good experience. Yeah. And the thing is too, is um, it's going to be tedious on your body as far as, cause you're going to be super hot, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and when you're in there for about like half an hour, 35 minutes, you know, your mind does start to wander. And I try to um, – sometimes when I know when enough is enough, but sometimes I do try to just just will my way through it and, and force myself to refocus when my mind is wandering just to strengthen my mind. Yeah, for sure. So when your mind does wander, how do you keep the discipline to just make sure that it doesn't? That's honestly something that sounds so uh, crazy, but it's just practicing it over and over again because – you're, I think everybody's mind is unless you know you've been doing this for seventy years and you're in India and you know how you have these master yoga instructors yeah. and unbreakable mind. Yeah, uh, if you're on that level, I truly applaud you. But um, I'm not at all there, you know. Yeah. When my mind does wander, I just try to refocus. I'll look at the time. So I, I have a stopwatch when I'm in there. Yeah. And I'll say, okay, you know what? I'm going to try to meditate for 40 minutes. And for me, again, I'm extremely competitive. So I'll be so angry at myself. If I said I'm just going to be in there for 40 minutes and I was in there for 36, that's a, that's like a loss to me. So I'm like, well, what the hell? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so th- th- that's it's really the stopwatch then that holds me accountable. I see. I see. That's good to know. Daniel, I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time, and I've seen how the practice of mindfulness can make a really, really big difference in the lives of people who have been bullied. Do you have a story about bullying that you can share with us? Yeah, of course. So funny enough, um, I was on both ends of that spectrum. So I was both a bully and I was bullied. So I would say in my junior high years, it was a bit of both. And I don't know what happened in high school with me, but all of a sudden I became some bullying prevention. (laughs) Like I used to stick up for the kids that would meet up on break and talk about video games and stuff. Uh, So it was really interesting. So one instance where I would say I was mindful of the situation and I was able to nullify it was – I remember it was my freshman year and there was this bully and I remember he was – I think he was going after his lunch money, this this kid's lunch money or something. It right. sounds like something out of a movie. Yeah. And um, 
but he was he was beating he was giving him some good shots like yeah. on the locker i was i was like wow so it was it was a lunch break yeah. and um so he was getting beat up and then i remember so i had i had always seen him and it was like a mutual respect thing with with the with the bully so we never ever crossed paths in a negative sense and then i remember i didn't push him but i said hey 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 the the teacher's coming the teacher's coming come 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 so his name was um Mr. Jones. Yeah. So I was like, Mr. Jones is coming. Come here, come here, come here. And then so I grabbed him and then I was I was pulling him aside. And I remember I just started giving him it was weird now that I'm even thinking about it. I was weird. I was like, I was like, oh, what were you doing? I'm like, why were you beating him up? What did he do? And then he's like, oh no, just because he's an idiot. And yeah. <laughs> you know, just the most stupidest answer. But yeah. you see, before I would have in that situation, I would say how this is how mindfulness uh, affected that situation where before I would have either fought for the guy that was getting bullied or I would have just turned a blind eye. Right. Oh, yeah. And so with this one, I was just, you know, being an observer on the outside. I was like, you know what? This is not one that you want to fight fire with fire. So that's why Mr. Jones was not coming. Nobody was coming. But I just said that just to get him out of that situation and pulling him and talking to him aside. And I was saying, and I remember I told him, I was like, oh, you're getting his lunch money? Oh, man. I was like, oh, dude, you got to find somebody else to do that to He's, dude, he could barely have money for the bus. Like, Dude, you gotta find some of these rich kids or something. Like, yeah. so I made it kind of like a heart to heart, just like um, yeah. where I, I kind of avoided the confrontation there. Yes. And I remember after um, I went and I spoke to so the guy's name was Jeff. So I went and spoke to Jeff after. I was like, "You okay? You know this sort of thing." Mm-hmm. And then we kind of we were talking. I was like, "Listen, just don't hang around the weight room or don't be around here at lunch." You know, just try to avoid the whole situation, right? Yeah. But I would say for sure that now that I'm reflecting back, I was like, oh, wow, that was definitely um, something that I wouldn't have done even a year prior where I was in grade eight. That's not something I would have done. I would have either done one or the other. I wouldn't have taken kind of a mindful approach on that one on how to how to stop that situation. So, yeah. So take us back to a time when you were in middle school and you bullied a kid. Tell us about that. Oh, man. I, you know, kids are stupid. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've all be. we've all done things we yeah. regret. That's for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> there was I don't know what was wrong with me. So, uh, I think I was like what seven or yeah. eight, and there was a kid, and he used to have. I feel so bad. I feel like such a jerk even talking about it. Um, he used to have the perfectly gelled hair. Like yeah. just perfect gelled hair, great side part, everything. We always got straight A's. And um, I don't – so there was a group of us. There was like three or four of us, right? So it's funny. There wasn't just one bully. It was like a team of bullies. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we used to just mess his hair up at recess <laughs> just just, just because, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he would always cry when, when we would do it. But the thing I would say about him, he never told. On us, and I guess that's just like you know, uh, school schoolyard code or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But um, I really regret doing that, and I, I really regret um, I really regret any sort of bullying incident. I don't. I was bullied as well too, where I used to get beat up. And the thing is, though, I don't regret that because for me, that made me stronger. And that kind of and how I can bring that back is in grade nine. When I had that, when I was uh, using mindfulness for that experience, 
that's how I was able to relate with that bully. Right. right. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm not saying, well, that's why I bullied and it was for that reason. No, yeah. it was me being an idiot, but I was glad I was on both ends of that spectrum where I can draw from both experiences. Well, yeah, and that that is really helpful. And, you know, thanks for sharing that because, you know, like we were all kids once. We've all gone through things. We've all done things that we regret. But, you know, sometimes just talking about it is a positive thing. So really appreciate that, Daniel. Yeah. Daniel, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who's one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Two people, George St. Pierre, who's a mixed martial artist okay. because of uh, his martial arts mindset, and Kobe Bryant, who's a multi-time NBA national champion, not sorry, NBA champion, and uh, multiple-time league MVP, and just having that championship mindset. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? A hundred percent it has because it allows you to be calm and master your emotions because your emotions can result in some of the most erratic actions right so it really helps you for me example to to really think logical before i react out of emotion yeah definitely daniel tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice i would say breathing is a big part of it just because with anything, with breathing, air, oxygen, that's what keeps you centered. And maybe that's me practicing yoga, but that's what keeps you centered. That's what keeps your body centered. So even throughout both physically or mentally, our most tedious points or experiences, breathing is what will always keep you centered. For sure. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be? I'm actually reading one right now, and it's called Rafa, R-A-F-A, and it's by Rafael Nadell. And for those that aren't familiar, it, it was about his – he's a tennis player, a champion tennis player. And it, he pretty much talks about his battles with Roger Federer and how he had to change his mindset in order to beat him finally. Wow, it sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, it was a great book, and it was recommended to me, and I look forward to – completing reading it just to see how it can influence me and just in my athletic journey yeah for sure can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful uh bruce to be totally honest with you and this is going to sound super weird especially in 2016 i do not uh have one just because i don't really i try my very best to depend on my phone as least as possible (laughs) just because i find it could be such a distraction even if it for me at least if it was an app for mindfulness or or whatnot that can snowball into something else and the next thing you know you're five minutes on your phone because you're checking through emails or whatnot you know what i mean oh i totally do it's so easy to be addicted to our devices that's for sure what advice would you give a person who's new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life i would say for sure the most important thing is momentum and what i mean by that is breaking it down to very, very small steps. So I once heard that habit is formed after three weeks. It be, After practicing something for three weeks, it becomes a habit. So I would say whether it's – this could even be fitness related, whether it's just making sure you drink two liters of water a day, just something simple like that. Yes. But if you're continually building on that and making that a habit – 
and you're practicing it over and over again, you're going to build momentum and then you're going to be able to take on something else. So for mindfulness, start small and build on it, gain momentum and move forward. That's great advice. Daniel, it has really been a pleasure to share this time with you and to get so many tips and ideas about how you stay grounded in your life. Daniel, if we want to learn more about you and what you do and maybe connect with you, how can we do that? Oh, 100%. Make your way over to www.daniel-hayes.com. That's my website. There you'll find... Um, my bio, photos, all my social media links, whatever you need. Perfect. That's great. Daniel, thanks so much again, and I hope to reconnect with you soon. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much, Bruce. Awesome. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.